So forgiveness is the theme we're going to explore this month together. And I had prepared a sermon on the topic for last week, but you know the ice and snow intervened, so we had to cancel church. But forgiveness is an important virtue. So I plan to review my sermon, tweak it a bit, and use it this week. Instead, I learned how much a sermon is an art form of the moment. Current events change. Something in the congregation happens. Or I have an experience modifying my perceptions. And then the the original sermon isn't quite as viable. So this week, I charged straight ahead, full speed, into a brick wall. (laughs) Of my own unforgiveness. Ouch! How can I preach about forgiveness when I uncover my own ill will, bitterness, and very old anger. If I believe what I preach, that our imperfections are the source of our transformation, if I believe when I say being your minister means willingness to live my flawed life as transparently as possible, and if I believe our humanness is at the core of being forgiven as well as being forgivers, then I get to reconsider what I was going to preach. And I have. I'll tell you that story as much as I can in a moment. But first, to get ourselves into the frame of mind, open to the paradoxes of forgiveness, I propose we read together the litany you find on the card in your order of service. It's to help open up our hearts and minds. So I'll say a sentence, and you respond back, do it anyway. And while you're saying that, pay attention to how that feels in your body to say it. And I know this is not the Unitarian Universalist way, but put gusto and conviction. Actually, it is the Unitarian Universalist way. (laughs) Put gusto and conviction into these, I call them subversive responses. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs, but follow only top dogs. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you do help them. Help people 
Give the world the best you have and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Excellent. <laughs> so how did that feel to say that back? I find it feels valid and good while at the same time it feels false and naive. Do good anyway? Sometimes, maybe. It depends, except... But the list comes from Kent Keith, and he calls it the Paradoxical Commandments of Leadership. And he wrote them back in 1968 when he was 18 at Harvard. He had learned a lot about enlightened leadership in high school governance. So he wrote that's a small chapbook you can still find online for student leaders. And the list is a good one just for living a life of service. Keith wanted to assist student leaders who inevitably find themselves, and these are his words, being attacked or mistreated by the very people you're trying to help. It is one of life's paradoxes to hold a deep concern for people, and despite their response, to keep helping anyway. Being of service means having a goal in mind while in the same time letting go of all, all expectations that the goal you want to achieve is going to be achieved in the way you think it will be. You have to let go of those expectations. So when Keith talks about being attacked by the very people you're trying to help, I picture, maybe because it's all over the newspaper these days, that black and white footage of protesters arm-in-arm linked walking across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Because today is the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday, the day when scores of people marched from Selma, trying to march from Selma to Alabama to protest their inability to vote. And despite being beaten and tear-gassed, they chose to think big anyway, to fight for a few underdogs anyway, and to succeed anyway. Martin Luther King Jr. is the public face for this social justice movement, yet every single person arm's length walking on that bridge was a leader. Every single one was willing to give the world what they had anyway, despite the line of uniformed state troopers at the bottom with their batons, some sitting tall on horses, awaiting them at the other end of the bridge. Succeed anyway. You may think I've strayed from the topic of forgiveness, but forgiveness fits right into these paradoxical commandments. Forgiveness requires that same contrarian spirit of love and service in the face of being attacked by the very people you're trying to help or love. To forgive begins with first acknowledging harm, attacks, mistreatment. 
than overcoming hostility and anger in order to see beyond the vast arrays of responses that are possible beyond retribution, retaliation, and revenge. Just love them anyway. Like these other paradoxes, the truth and validity of forgiveness is rooted in our common humanness. Forgiveness rests in our shared frailties and fallibilities. The act of forgiveness is rooted in our inalterable humanness, in our being imperfect creatures of frequent and vast desires, irrational motives, ungainly actions. Most people know something about their own capacities for wrongdoing. I'd wager none of us can honestly say to ourselves we've done everything we should and nothing we shouldn't. Even in the last 24 hours. I've been up since six, so I'd say the last six hours. <laughs> For many of us, believers and unbelievers alike, one of the parts of the New Testament that speaks vividly to this condition is St. Paul saying, the good that I would do, not, and the evil that I would not, that I do. Ovid said something very similar a little earlier. I see and approve the better and do the worse. And several hundred years before that, Plato remarked that each one of us is like a charioteer with two headstrong horses pulling in different directions. When it comes to forgiveness, one headstrong horse pulling us away from forgiving is thinking that if we forgive, we're condoning or denying the harm. Forgiveness is not condoning or excusing or wiping the slate clean. Forgiving is not condoning because condoning amounts to essentially saying, well, that action really wasn't that bad. It didn't, it's okay. It, condoning rules out the possibility of forgiveness. Forgiving must begin with knowing and naming hurt. If you've experienced dire wrongs, murder, torture, slander, abuse, neglect, or betrayal by others, or by your own actions, forgiveness does not deny these evils. We need not accept or allow any morally wrong or offensive behavior. Forgiveness is not weak or passive. Forgiveness demands that we become very clear how harm occurs. And forgiveness doesn't just erase the loss or the grief or the confusion or the rage. My brush this week with my own anger and another person cropped up when I got a phone call last Sunday. It interrupted a delicious nap. 
that is pretty unforgivable to begin with. (laughs) And the call was totally unexpected because it came from a close relative who cut me off as well as the rest of the family for years. And I don't have permission to tell this person's story. So I won't dwell on the details, but I do have permission to tell my own side of it. And I trust the universal is in the particular. I've tried to keep contact with this person over the years. I call, I email, I'll even send cards or a gift. I'm not that noble. No response, total silence. Yet I keep reaching out, and I imagine my hand out, open palm, in a gesture of connection, hopefully, hopefully, without strings attached. And this other person can accept my open hand if and when ready. Yet, I go through periods when I'm furious at being ignored. I imagine those sea creatures, you know, whose appendage recoil the minute you try and touch them. But there are other times, there are moments when I can relax and unclench my teeth and unfurl my hand and see my relative as a person who with fears and frailties just like mine. I can reach out again. I can extend myself to accept with compassion and even tenderness that my gestures won't be reciprocated. I have these moments of clarity when I can allow and accept that the silence is okay. So I thought it was well on the road to forgiveness, and I'm puffed up with my own virtue and pride until the phone rings, and the years of neglect and unanswered silence come roaring back, and it clamps down my throat, And I find I can barely say anything except monosyllabic answers. Yes, no, okay, sure, nope, really. Really, I had not made much progress in fully forgiving. So the sermon I'd like to preach right now is how I've come to forgive this person and all is well. I wish I could report that we've patched up our misunderstandings, bemoaned our mistakes, had a laugh, and moved on. But that's not what's happening at the moment. Forgiveness can be harder than that. Forgiveness means giving up all efforts to change someone else. Instead of replaying the hurt from the past, instead of reviewing all the ways we've been harmed, Instead of refining the narratives in our heads about how terrible that person is, it's scandalous. Forgiveness means accepting that past, accepting others as they are. Like that 12-step mantra, the only person I can change is myself. Forgiveness changes the forgiver. It changes our relationship to ourselves and to the rest of the world. And I have embedded in my sermon that last line from Sharon Olds. She said, when she had apologized after her mother had apologized, 
I hardly knew what I said or who I would be now that I had forgiven you. She's a completely different person now, having forgiven her mother. From this point forward, all her interactions will be different. Hatred and anger and revenge are seductively energizing. They are white, hot energy and very hard habits to shake. They stoke the fires of our egos, ready to combust at any moment. Any ringing of the local phone. Fueled by indignation, because this relative never mentioned why there had been years of silence, I wrote an email in response to the call. I should have known better. (laughs) And I imagined I was setting a healthy boundary. Anger in an email is never, I don't use never often, never good. I know better, except when I don't. I find forgiveness resembles grief in that it comes in waves. Its calm and compassion need to be interjected over and over again. Forgiveness isn't a one-time act. It's not a single action. It's more a precondition for encountering others. Every relationship, including our relationship to ourselves, requires forgiveness. The act of forgiving is embedded in our covenant. It's the work we do with and for each other and for ourselves to create a healthy church, a loving congregation, survive having a family, or survive not having a family. It allows us to remain in community. So on the back of your paradoxical commandments card, you'll see I gave you a little work page. I suggest you pick something simple, not the most challenging thing that you have to forgive, something small, You can build up to something looming. These cards are just for you, so fill it out on your own time. It doesn't have to be shared, or you can talk it over with someone trusted, or you can make an appointment to see me. So just as forgiveness is not a one-time act, neither is it the work of a single card, one sermon, or a monthly theme. It's constant and enduring. It's a paradox. It continues to change us why it changes the world. May it be so.